What an incredible book is the Holy Bible. Nothing exists that matches the number and the versions in print. And as we begin a, a series of studies entitled God's Gift of Understanding to His Children, I want you to take careful note. All of God's Word comes to us, not by vision or by modern-day prophets, but only through this precious record given by the Creator through men who were ordained to write an inerrant manual on how creation and we humans were made, how we are to operate correctly, and what rewards or punishment we'll receive when our earthly days are done. We're in for an awesome adventure through the mind of God today, and I'm going to apologize in advance for the next few moments, but unless we review and understand just how incredible the Bible is, we won't grasp the depth of God's gift of understanding. So, here are ten amazing facts about this Holy Bible. First is the writing of the Bible. The Bible was written over a 1,600-year period by approximately 40 men. And the time of that writing was from about 1,500 B.C. to A.D. 100. A second reason, the divisions of the Bible. While the Bible is one book, it contains 66 smaller books. The books of the Old Testament were written before the birth of Jesus Christ, and the New Testament covers the life of Jesus and beyond. The third fact is about chapters and verses. Each of the books, except five, are divided into chapters and verses. Chapters were actually not introduced to the Bible until... 1238 by Cardinal Hugo de Escaro. The verse divisions within the chapters were not added until 1551 by Robertus Stephanus. Fact number four, the shortest and the longest of the Bible. The longest chapter of the Bible is Psalm 119 with 176 verses. And the shortest chapter is Psalm 117, which only has two verses. The longest book of the Bible is Psalms with 150 chapters or Psalms, and it contains 43,743 words. The shortest book is 3 John with only one chapter and only 299 words. And then the longest verse in the Bible is in Esther, 8-9 with 90 words, and the interesting thing is that Esther is the only book in the Bible that does not mention God. Most people are familiar with the shortest verse as John eleven thirty five, 35 with just two words, Jesus wept. Fact number five, the Bible is God's word. There are many books that are written about and by various religions, but the Bible is the only one which includes the actual words of the Creator God. We who believe the Bible also believe that God inspired various people through the years to write down His actual words for mankind. The Bible says, believe it or not, more than 3,000 times, Thus saith the Lord, and the words which follow are direct quotes that God inspired. Fact number six. The Bible is historically correct. There were several secular historians who wrote about the events of the New Testament at the time the Bible was being written. 
Josephus is the most well-known of them. He was a Jewish historian. Tacitus was a Roman historian who would have no benefit from not telling the truth. And both of these men, as well as others, can be used to back up the historical accuracy of this Bible. There are historical discoveries that are regularly coming in to light that continue to support the accuracy of the Bible as well. Merrill Unger, who compiled a Bible dictionary, wrote, Old Testament archaeology has rediscovered whole nations, resurrected important peoples, and in a most astonishing manner, filled in historical gaps, added immeasurably to the knowledge of biblical backgrounds. During a video recording tour of Israel, I saw objects that proved the existence of King Hezekiah, Caiaphas the priest who helped condemn Christ, and a tiny bell that came from the robe of a temple priest, proving that Israel did indeed have two temples on the mount before the Muslims claimed that territory. And we saw the prophesied ruins of Capernaum and Bethesda. The seventh fact is about the business of the Bible. There are more than 168,000 Bibles either sold or given away per day in the United States, according to the Gideons. Wycliffe International also agrees with that in the International Bible Societies. Historically, it's been said that the Bible is the most sold book of all time. It's regularly on various bestseller lists, and the Bible has been translated into more than 1,200 languages. Amazing fact number eight, the prophecies of the Bible. There are more than 3,200 verses with fulfilled prophecy either within the Bible itself or since the Bible was written. But... There are still more than 3,100 verses that are unfulfilled prophecies. The ninth amazing fact deals with the writers of the Bible. While there were at least 40 different people who wrote parts of the Bible, some were more prolific than others. For instance, the disciple Paul wrote at least 13 books of the Bible. He may have also been the author of the book of Hebrews, Moses wrote the first five books, and the Bible attributes more than 3,000 Proverbs to King Solomon. Probably one of the most important facts of the Bible is number 10. The Bible never contradicts itself. There are no contradictions in the Bible. Various people claim to find contradictions but they have to take verses out of context to do so. When looking at the Bible as a whole and understanding its teachings, there are no contradictions. This is amazing when you consider that the Bible was written over such a long period of time. Look at 2 Peter 3, 15, 16, and you'll see what I mean. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. 
Does this mean that we should be ready to answer questions about contradictions? Well, of course. Let me go on. I'll quote 1 Peter 3.15, which says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Most, most of us were more than ready to share our newfound faith with the enthusiasm of an evangelist, and probably we turned some listeners away. And that's why Peter directs the believer to share with gentleness, respect, meekness, and fear, and awe. So, how can we do that when we're challenged? Well, let me give you an example of how to address a typical contradiction. Matthew 7.21 versus Acts 2.21, for instance, calling on the name of the Lord. Matthew 7.21 says this. This is in Jesus' words. Not everyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then we take a look at Acts 2.21, and Peter says, Whoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, as mentioned in these passages, context means a lot. You see, in the book of Acts, Peter is speaking before a crowd in Jerusalem, challenging them to believe in Jesus since they have been witness to the events of his crucifixion and resurrection. I stood on the very steps where he talked to more than 3,000 people, and he's quoting a passage from the prophet Joel, and he tells the crowd that they only have to truly believe in Jesus as the Messiah, and they will be saved. But what about Matthew 7? The context of Jesus' words in Matthew 7 is dramatically different, though. See, Jesus starts off that passage by saying, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. And then he goes on to talk about how to discern a true believer from a pretender by examining their fruit, what they are, what they say, what they do. And that's what leads up to the statement saying, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The difference is simply one of true belief versus pretense. No contradiction. Now, here's another amazing fact. God's gift of understanding, which is our topic today, understanding his word was often held back from the very men who were chosen to write those words. But then that gift has been measured out over the centuries only as it is needed by the people of each age. There's instances when a prophet knew what the words foretold, but he had no reference as to how or when they would be fulfilled. For example, remember what God said after he revealed prophecies describing the end times. Look at Daniel 12, verses 8 through 10. Daniel said, I heard, but I did not understand, so I asked, My Lord, what will the outcome of all this be? The Lord replied, Go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. Many will be purified, made spotless, and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. 
Notice that Daniel didn't ask God to do a word-for-word analysis or an exegetical explanation of his message, but only ask what the outcome would be. He was told the words were sealed. When? Until the time of the end. And guess what? Our generations have been given the codes to break the seal. So would we say that's another sign that we're nearing the return of Christ? Well, yes, it is. The Bible also emphasizes that God gave his word in various ways. Listen to this from Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets in many ways and many times, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. Sometimes the writers understood what they were writing, but they didn't recognize their words as being divine. For instance, in his prologue, Luke, who was another apostle, informs us that his work was a result of careful historical investigation. Luke 1, verses 1 through 4 says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Luke did not preface the scripture with, thus saith the Lord. And yet, Luke's words let us know that his report is true and trusted. But how can we know that? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 gives us that clear answer. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful to teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. An interesting twist to understanding prophecy is found in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12. Listen to this carefully. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. So, does this mean the prophecy not only involves God's inspiration, but also requires the prophet to do research before recording the message? Of course not. What Peter was saying was that the prophets were, quoting again from verse 11, only trying to find out the terms and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. In verse 12, the reason for their searching is explained and satisfied. So, this is... Again, 1 Peter, and this is verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. In other words, the disciples were not saying something that would apply to them, but to you. That's us today and in between our time. When they spoke of the things that have been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even the angels long to look into these things. 
So one of the key points of understanding is that other scriptures, often coming centuries later by other writers, would answer the questions of who, what, where, when, why, how, the same questions that newspaper reporters use to say to their people before fake news. A prime example is Isaiah, writing about a king Cyrus of Persia. What's unusual is he was writing about Cyrus 140 years before Cyrus was even born, let alone knowing that he would be a king. So look at Isaiah 45.13 where God reveals this. I raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will rebuild my city and set my exiles free. But not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, what he was saying is Cyrus will do what he is supposed to do, but it won't be for his sake or his reward. But Cyrus will become, as it were, a servant of God to fulfill his will. And long after Isaiah died, Cyrus did indeed become king, and he did indeed rebuild Jerusalem. When we speak of the gift of understanding, this applies to all scripture, not just prophecy. The Bible also gives us examples where the writers were conscious that they were recording divinely inspired words, and they also understood what they were saying. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, for example, it tells us that Paul realized that he was writing divinely authoritative truth. Listen to this. We also constantly give thanks to God for this, that when you received the word of God that you heard from us, You accepted it not as a human word, but as what it really was and is, God's word, which is also at work in you believers. Today, the faithful church speaks those same God-inspired words as written in the Holy Bible. And as believers, we should be filled with awe to be allowed to utter those same words within the hearing of others seeking the truth. In a few instances, the statement of Scripture were not understood even by those giving them, nor were they even recognized that they were a part of the Scripture. This is amazing. Listen to John 11, verses 46 through 52. It records one instance where a council of priests, Pharisees, and the Sanhedrin debated about the fate of Jesus. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were the 75 elders that headed up the priests. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs, and if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he was prophesying that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. In the case of Caiaphas, he did not even realize that he was speaking divine truth. Neither did he understand all that it meant. 
So we conclude that the doctrine of divine inspiration does not necessitate the people always understanding what they wrote or said. What we are learning is that God alone provides understanding to those whom it is ordained, and at the time of his choosing. And we've just begun this series of God's gift of understanding of this holy book. Stay tuned during the following weeks for the right of your eternal life, and please, please don't miss a single message as we bring the truth of the living word to a dying world searching for answers. For Through the Gathering Storm Studios, I'm Chaplain R.T. Byron.